Welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. This podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who have been successful because they found what they were passionate about, created something special, and most of all, they gave themselves permission to go and do it. The genesis of this podcast is the inspirational lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and their world-changing impact. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place advisors come to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm very excited for our next guest in our CMO series, Drivers of Revenue, AJ Bori. AJ is a fractional CMO and marketing leader at Tiffin across their corporate marketing and communication initiatives, as well as overseeing the demand gen and revenue growth for multiple Tiffin Wealth Solutions. Tiffin has been all over the news recently, which is exactly the point of what AJ's charge is. Everything must work together to work well. Welcome, AJ. Hey, Doug. Thanks for having me on the CMO series. The title Chief Marketing Officer can mean so many things, and it's widely overused. What really is the job? Yeah, Doug, you know, I, I 100% agree. Um, not only can a CMO mean so many things, but we've now entered this era of what I would call alternative CMO titles as well. Um, you have things like Chief Customer Officers, Chief Client Experience Officers, Chief Growth Officers. Most of the time, these are just CMOs under a different name. Um, and when I think about the title of a CMO, I, you know, I like to think about what the job was 20 years ago, what it needs to be today. Um, you know, the former was relatively straightforward. Uh, it was a role that mainly oversaw push-based marketing that drove brand awareness, product messaging. Uh, these were mostly advertising campaigns, trade shows, et cetera. The objective was to grab a prospect's attention and maybe feed in some quick features and benefits. However, today's CMO has a responsibility to think you know, beyond those push-based marketing campaigns. Um, and instead, you know, think about a healthy conversion rate up and down the joint sales and marketing funnel. Um, and I emphasize joint because sales and marketing today need to be fully integrated. The modern CMO needs to think about things like conversion rates, life cycle stages, lifetime value, revenue retention and growth. Um, you know, and this shift is really important because what it's done is it's transformed the marketing department from an overhead expense uh, to what is now really a catalyst for bottom line growth for many organizations, especially in the world of SaaS-based startups like Tiffin. That's exactly right. So at what point in your career did you set your sights on being a CMO and how did you acquire the tool set to get the job? Yeah, so um, I can actually pinpoint when I really started pursuing my path to CMO to a single event. Um, you know, I grew up in the industry after college at a few large uh, advertising agencies in New York City. Uh, and this was, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s, um, you know, for context, this is when BlackBerry was still king on the block for smartphones, mm -hmm. um, you know, and back then we still printed, you know, pitch decks and presentation boards for big client meetings. And I remember, you know, one time in particular, uh, we had a presentation to the head of marketing at Reebok at their headquarters outside of Boston. I basically spent the entire night in the studio with our designers, you know, finalizing and printing all this material. Um, and then a coworker of mine, um, you know, went over, we, we rented a U-Haul van in Chelsea as soon as they opened. We loaded these huge four by eight foot boards, kind of the size of a, a sheet of plywood into the van. And we drove three and a half hours up to Canton, Massachusetts. You know, we go up to headquarters, we set up the room, 
her and I sat in the lobby during the meeting. After the meeting finished, we cleaned up the room, put everything back in the van, and we drove back to New York City. Uh, you know, all in all, this was a pretty exhausting 36 hour adventure from start to finish. And when I got home, I was thinking about, okay, who was in that room making the decisions versus my role in that presentation? And I set a goal for myself to become the decision maker in the room versus the guy in the van at that point. Uh, so, you know, while it wasn't a full 10 year plan, I definitely had that objective in mind. So over the next decade, as I evaluated roles, as I thought about steps in my career, took on different projects and responsibilities, I always kept that endpoint in mind. Um, you know, that made me first leave the agency world and move in-house uh, to City, where I became client side for the first time. I then used my experience and the connections at City to change roles, ultimately move over to Prudential Financial into a product marketing role, which I had done before. You know, this introduced me to you know, go to market and segmentation strategies in a new way. You know, I was kind of embedded with a product team, so I learned about Agile and UX design, and I also made additional connections uh, that led me to Tiffin. So at each one of these steps, I looked for an opportunity to expand my skill set, um, and equally as important, my network to set myself up for long-term success. So you know, today, you know, by the time I became a CMO, I had experience in media, advertising, business development, and sales, which, you know, again, I cannot understand how important it is for a CMO to at least understand at a conceptual level, sales pipeline and process. Um, but nowadays, you know, as I'm faced with new challenges and opportunities, very little feels foreign or something I'm unprepared for. You mentioned a lot of major companies that you work for. What is marketing and marketing departments like in those places? Sure. So, you know, marketing at, uh, you know, these Fortune 50 financial firms like Citi and Prudential is very different, uh, is a very different world from where I am right now at Tiffin. Um, you know, these organizations are massive. Uh, we had a few hundred marketers at Prudential, and I'm pretty sure that Citi had over a thousand employees globally in different marketing roles while I was there. Um, and they have to be because they drive impact to millions of clients around the globe. Uh, so the scale of everything they do is supersize. Uh, if you work on a press release or an email or even a homepage interstitial, and you, you know, sometimes even if you feel like a functional line worker, as soon as you publish that piece of content, it can get hundreds of thousands of views within a couple minutes. Uh, so if you want to drive large scale customer impact, those are fantastic organizations to be a part of. Um, you know, and the other thing that I always think about is they're full of some really smart and high potential individuals. Uh, these folks come out of top schools and they go on to do, you know, great things in their career as well. So from a networking perspective, it's invaluable. And de I've definitely benefited, benefited from the experience and still count many of my Pru and city colleagues uh, among my closest professional friends and mentors. On the flip side, in order to get anything done, you really need to be able to work uh, cross-functionally and collaborate. Um, it can be very difficult to move the ball forward at these firms. You know, I would say if you have the capacity to work across a giant matrix organization and build consensus, you know, that, that is a real and challenging skill. It may not be the quickest and most efficient, but at the scale of those two firms, you know, you have to think about some of these programs like turning an aircraft carrier. You have a really low margin of error. So if you have a methodical and thoughtful approach and you build consensus, you know, often this is the best way to limit some downside risk of what you do. And, you know, this isn't me necessarily trying to be negative. It's just the reality of those marketing environments when they're, they're you know, so big and they have such scale. Um, but that experience is part of my professional DNA. And, you know, it's unlikely that I would be here now without the time I spent at both those firms. So you left that big world for a startup. 
what were you searching for and how do you go from funding and all those people to zero it's let's go it's on you from here on out yeah um you know personally uh i'm hardwired to be a doer at the end of the day and uh you know as i mentioned there's lots of great benefits to being at places like city and Peru. but again it's it's really hard to get things done quickly um so when an ex-colleague turned mentor of mine harka shah who was the the former chief brand officer over at Peru reached out to me um, saying she was going to become a partner at Tiffin, uh, which at the time was this esoteric venture studio model trying to build a bunch of pre-seed fintech platforms. Uh, she approached me and said, you know, hey, they, they want to bring on a full-time VP of marketing. She also couldn't quite tell me what that meant, but promised we'd figure it out together. Um, and I think it took me maybe a day or two after that first call, but eventually I said, great, you know, let's do this. Um, and I remember my wife at the time being very hesitant and thinking I was nuts to leave this, you know, stable, well-paying, defined role that I had at Prudential, uh, running a segment marketing team. Um, and, you know, go here and join Tiffin when we had no idea what it was going to become. Um, but it was, you know, equal parts challenging and exciting at the same time. And it forced me to to go back to proverbial school, and I'll put you know school in quotes there. Um, you know, in order to dig in and expand my skill set even further, um, I remember spending the first six months at Tiffin, self-teaching HubSpot, uh, you know, watching YouTube videos on SEM campaign optimization, you know, reading uh, you know articles on best practices for cold email subject lines and how not to end up in spam filters. Right? These are things that you know either you'll have a vendor to do, or you don't have to worry about at a large firm. But we needed to do it at Tiffin in the early days to grow and grow fast. Uh, you know, one example I can think of, I, I, I probably spent the first year emailing Michael Kitz's probably around 50 times in order to get him to pay attention to us before I finally got a reply. Um, and, you know, you go through these process, you learn uh, along the way. Um, and the outcome of all this activity is, you know, we broke a lot of things in the early day. Um, but, you know, more importantly, we were not afraid to fail fast you know, to learn and to move on. And that has set the foundation for the company we've become today. As you mentioned, today's a lot different than a couple of years ago. Digital is more important. There's more competition in every marketplace. There's so much money being spent in person's now back and your job's way bigger. How do you think about managing that pie? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, what felt like a disadvantage at the time may have actually protected Tiffin to an extent during COVID. You know, we were able to grow up our first couple of years inside this digital and virtual event bubble in, you know, 2020 and 2021. So, you know, while the early days of Tiffin date back to, you know, late 2018, it was really Q1 of 2020. Um, around the time I joined that we had our, our MVPs or early platforms in a place to really test the product market fit and to get feedback from the industry. And I remember within the first 30 days after I started, the world shut down. You know, but when I think about that time, the fact that the products were still stabilizing, you know, it was actually fortunate to have lower cost access to test populations via these virtual events, which got us our first, you know, 10, 20, 50 prospects and a handful of early clients. Um, what I've learned in the startup world as a CMO is you have to get comfortable um, with these first few customers not sticking around, uh, mostly because the, the product isn't quite ready. You know, you don't have the features, you don't have the integrations um, that, that a lot of clients may be looking for, but you get feedback you were fine and you become better for the next batch of clients. Uh, so now where we are entering summer of 2022, we're much more ready to show up in a big way. Um, you know, we just spent the spring and early summer of this year doing our first major uh, in-person conference tour to many of the 
professional associations. And most recently, we had a large sponsorship down at, at Wealth Management Edge in Florida. Um, so while the expense increased, um, the investment is now worth it. And I can go a little bit more into the specifics there, right? Um, you know, this, this recent conference tour probably cost us a few hundred thousand dollars. Um, but for us, this was our coming out party in the wealth and investment management space. And, you know, over the course of, you know, multiple conferences in the last couple of months, you know, what I would say, what I've heard from the team is somewhere around 70% of the conversation um, that our team had with different wealth managers or investment managers proved to us that, you know, either they didn't hear Tiffin before or they couldn't really understand what we were doing. So to me as a CMO, this was good validation of the investment because otherwise we would never would have had these deeper five to 10 minute conversations that are now filling our pipeline with opportunities. Um, so you know, while we'll re reap the benefits now, if we jumped into similar tactics two years ago, back in say the summer of 2022, it would have been too much too soon. Uh, so Doug, to go back to your question, you know, what I've learned that helps me make decisions on the marketing pie is to ask, is this the right time for the investment? Who are we trying to reach and why? If we can rationalize that decision-making process and more importantly, figure out how it will equate to moving our revenue objectives forward, it makes a ton of sense and we'll greenlight the campaign. Which leads exactly to the mess. next question of how you mesh sales and marketing. It's such a key part of what you're doing and one many companies uh, bail on, don't do successfully. Yeah, so at, at Tiffin, um, there is zero separation between the two. Uh, sales and marketing are very much attached at the hip. Um, I meet and report out to my sales leaders and GMs multiple times a week. Everything we do is in the context of sales uh, and the revenue funnel. Um, you know, so we look at how many inbound leads and demos were booked in the last seven days. What is the rolling four-week cost per demo average? You know, what is our current quarterly you know, CAC to LTV ratio? These are numbers and metrics that I'm on top of on a, on a weekly basis in order to work with that team. Um, you know, part of this is, you know, culturally we're, we're data obsessed at Tiffin. Uh, we actually use uh, the objective and key result reporting framework, uh, which is something that, that has its roots in product development, but we've now implemented across the company and all departments, including marketing, um, now use, use OKRs uh, on a weekly basis. So what does this mean? This means that every person, every team has weekly quantifiable targets that we meet uh, to report on our progress. Um, you know, we found that for new hires, this can sometimes be a jarring transition to get used to, uh, especially if you come from, you know, a previous firm where maybe you do quarterly business reviews or post-campaign reporting readouts. It can feel a little bit like micromanagement or an overuse of data, but there is a method to the madness um, because, you know, our company is still living in a world where we talk about funding rounds, runway, driving to full profitability. Um, when that's the case, you need to be on top of your revenue and AR growth or the funding will stop and you go extinct in the next 12 to 18 months. And uh, if anyone's unclear on that reality, you know, that we're living in right now in June of 2022, just Google the Y Combinator plan for the worst memo that they sent to all their founders back in May. And you can see exactly the environment that a lot of startups and VCs are living in right now. Um, you know, therefore, you know, for us being obsessed with our metrics, our results and our revenue on a consistent basis, we're able to catch problem areas faster you know, we stop the things that are not working quickly, and then we double down on the initiatives that drive growth. And this creates an uh, environment for success that now a few years in, we're continuing to see uh, pay off, even in a tough market. All right, we're entering into my lightning round. Does marketing need to be expensive? 
No, it doesn't. Um, you know, it can be. Uh, there are channels like mass awareness, advertising, conference sponsorship that can rack up the tab fast. But, you know, this gets back to my point before to make sure that your company product or program is, you know, ready and operating with clear measurable objectives in mind, right? Uh, there was a specific, specific conference we had this year where I think that conference alone, we spent 75K on, on a sponsorship, right? Uh, but we had a thesis going into it that we were well aligned with the association niche and we can make some headway with their members. So in the end, we came out of that conference with almost 200K in revenue line of sight and probably closed somewhere around 50 to 60% of that. So in that specific scenario, right, the hypothesis and the results worked out and validated the tactic um, to reach this specific association where we felt like we had a good hit. And now I wouldn't hesitate to double down on the same tactic in, in 2023. So that's one end of the spectrum. That's the expensive side of the equation, right? However, in the other side, you know, our team can do list matching on webinar registrants or lookalike targeting from site visitors via Google ads to drive a ton of impact on a few keywords and only spend a few thousand bucks a quarter. Um, so again, it's, it's case by case, objective by objective, but the principles are the same. If you evaluate the tactic up front, you start small, you test and learn and scale in that order, you'll see the impact and make less expensive mistakes. What makes marketing powerful? Yeah, I, I don't think it's rocket science. Um, you know, I think relevancy is always the top way to drive impact. Um, you know, we talk a lot about avoiding throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. In some cases, early days of Tiffin, we tried it. Um, and in the end, it drove outcomes like low click-through rates and unsubscribe uh, and opt-outs more than anything else. So where we can be more topical, relevant, and personalized, we see better success. Um, you know, we version a lot of collateral uh, across the, the Tiffin Wealth Division. Uh, if we know a specific audience leans into a use case, we make sure that we have the data or the social proof points in our presentation materials and one-pagers that kind of speak to their language. This creates a faster value transfer that can then lead to the next stage of the pipeline. And to me, powerful marketing can be judged by the efficiency and the velocity in your sales pipeline. Who outside our industry catches your imagination in terms of great marketing? Yeah, so, so I'm a user, but I think there are so many things that uh, HubSpot does great that kind of fills me with uh, envy and aspiration as a marketer. Um, you know, first, I love what they've done to own a conceptual area with inbound marketing, which is a very, very difficult thing to do, right, as a company. Um, this is the classic Q-tip standard. If you become synonymous with a category, you can create a huge moat. Um, and HubSpot has done an awesome job becoming the thought leader in the space. Uh, they use free, publicly available research content that often gets cited by third-party media. They use their knowledge base to drive organic prospect engagement. Um, and really own this, this concept of, of, of inbound. Um, and then they drive further engagement through a gamified badge of honor and certification program. They have probably the leading industry event on the topic. And the result of this is basically creating a cottage economy where you have agencies that specialize on their platform, companies posting for specialized specialists for their products. This creates deep, deep stickiness and high barriers for replacement uh, for somebody to then go to a different platform. You know, I also love their approach to freemium, which I think is a great way to scale a SaaS program. What they've done is they've, give, they've given away commoditized parts of their platform, like basic CRM capabilities, chat, scheduling tools, and then they use product-based selling to expand that relationship over time. 
So if you're using their free tools, what happens is when you log in, their navigation shows you everything else that could be available to your firm. So as soon as that need comes up for say service ticketing or increased sales and marketing automation, they're automatically going to be a top of your consideration set. So, you know, when you, when you think about the tactics that they use, giving away content, education tools for free, um, there's always a concern that that could be a sunk cost or you're giving up, you know, too much of your product too soon uh, to a prospect. But in my view, this lowers the barriers of entry. It drives adoption and loyalty. And then the likelihood of a transition from a freemium user to a paid customer becomes more and more probable over time. Um, so, you know, I think these are fantastic tactics, especially in our world with a, a SaaS platform. Um, we've started to adopt, you know, some of these at Tiffin Wealth. And I think you're going to see us expand in many of these same areas over time as we grow. Amazing. All right. What makes your marketing unique? Yeah, I may rephrase this a little and talk about, you know, probably our most unique challenge that we have at, at Tiffin. So the, the biggest challenge we face today at Tiffin, and I'm, I'm thinking now at the, the whole co-level, is um, fighting what we call conglomerate syndrome, right? So we touch so many different parts of the fintech pie from data to media to brokerage to wealth tech. Um, we sometimes fall in the trap of over explaining what we do or have to offer. And it's difficult to do that in a succinct way. Um, and we've heard this from, you know, potential clients, industry experts, and the media where, you know, they'll come to us and, and say, yeah, I've heard of Tiffin, but I have trouble understanding exactly what is it you guys do. Um, so in this case, we need to be pervasive in communicating our core messaging and mission over and over again. Um, in this way, if, if we're consistent and, and, you know, we increase the frequency and repetition on, on what we do and what our core benefits and mission are, uh, we can have our employees, our prospects, our partners all see that common thread and understand what we do, but more importantly, why we do it. We titled this podcast series, the CMO series, Drivers of Revenue. Is that an appropriate title? Yeah, um, completely. And uh, I'll, I'll be blunt here. If you are a uh, CMO and you do not have a bottom line mindset nowadays, uh, I'm sorry to say, but you're a dinosaur at this point. You know, if you think about anyone who's taken a, a marketing, you know, one-on-one -on -one class has likely heard about the traditional four P's of marketing, you know, price, product, place, and promotion. You know, historically promotion has probably received too much of the spotlight. Uh, I'm also seeing nowadays, you know, people as a fifth P, which I, I do agree with, think about your end customers and using human-centric design, but it's probably a separate conversation. Uh, but what I'm going to throw out is potentially a six P of marketing, proceeds, and, you know, in my opinion, this last one is the Uber P of marketing. If what you're doing cannot be tied to or evaluated in terms of the marketing department's impact on proceeds, then you as a CMO or marketing leader are likely wasting your time, your effort, or your firm's money. AJ, completely impressive. I'm I'm glad to include you in this group that we have had on the podcast because everybody has been just fantastic. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you again for having me, Doug. Please follow us for all the latest updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia, our producer, Jakey Beard, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen.